2: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be my friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, put it all in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Oh, we dodged a bullet today when the big monthly unemployment number came in fairly high, with big job creation numbers, 109,000 in November, causing the unemployment rate to fall to a lower than expected 3.7 percent. Just enough for us to say the economy remains healthy with that much inflation, as wages didn't rise too much. That means the soft landing thesis is alive and well. Giving the averages another reason to rally, with the Dow gaining 130 points, S&P advancing 0.41%, Nasdaq climbing 0.45%, because we're just not that all worried about the Fed right now. Which brings me to the game plan for next week, because on Wednesday, the Federal Reserve tells us its next move, coupled with J-PAL's press conference. Now, anyone who's watched this show knows where I stand on Powell. I said it wasn't. His fault that things got overheated in America because it happened everywhere else, too. He took the tough action he needed, rapidly jacking up interest rates. And now he's almost brought back inflation to the Fed's 2% target. Right now, there's one thing that rankles me about all of this, though. No matter what happens, there are plenty of traders who love to play this ridiculous guessing game about the Fed's next move. You cannot pay attention to these short-time blowhards. For example, at this moment, they're frantically trying to figure out if this morning's job numbers will keep the Fed on hold, not eager to cut rates anytime soon, which is the prevailing wisdom. The prevailing wisdom, people, is wrong. I don't want you to get caught up in this ridiculous sideshow. Right now, good news about the economy is good news for the stock market because the Fed doesn't need to do anything. Powell is winning the war against inflation, and that's all that matters. As long as Powell's winning, meaning the economy's still creating jobs, relatively low wage inflation, he's fulfilling his mandate. He doesn't need to cut rates. He doesn't need to raise rates. At neutral position is enough to justify sticking with our stocks here. How about these individual stocks? Now, on Monday, Oracle reports uh, after the close. Now, remember, this wouldn't be all that controversial. It's a solid software business that trades at a reasonably low price earnings multiple and almost never misses its, its earnings. But last time, Oracle disappointed and the stock started a sickening plunge from 126 to $100. A real tug of war ensued here between those who think that the company massively overpaid when it bought Cerner, a kind of second tier electronic records company, for $28 billion just two years ago, and a second group of voters who think that this Oracle is going to leverage this huge data center group into a generative artificial intelligence powerhouse. In the end, the day the company reported the naysayers won, but ever since then, the whole market bottomed in late October. The stock's been working its way higher because Wall Street's fallen back in love with AI, including their AI. Now, we've taken a position in the stock for my charitable trust, and we think that the AI bulls this time will be proven right. Especially because legendary founder Larry Ellison remains very involved in the generative AI transition. Last Thursday, last Thursday, I got a call in the late round about Carrier. And I said I thought it was a darn good company, but people are worried about its German heat pump acquisition. It's a big acquisition, 12 billion. I have faith that CEO Dave Gitlin can work it all out, especially now that he sold a security division to Honeywell this morning for about $5 billion. But I also said you might want to take a cleaner story, a a similar business, Train technologies, TT. The other major climate controls play, though. It's these guys, Johnson & Trolls, which reports on Tuesday. I've avoided this one, maybe even with the plague, because it doesn't have any growth. That said, the stock's down more than 12% for the year, and it's much, much cheaper than Carrier or Train. I don't know. I'm going to take a look at it. Wednesday, as I mentioned, of course, is the Fed Day. Then after the close, we hear from one of my favorite companies, Adobe which is on a mission to make generative AI work for everybody, democratization, not just for the big enterprises. CEO Shantanu Narayan has consistently delivered amazing returns. I don't think that's going to change. I think it will be the same. Although there's often a battle among traders the moment the numbers come out. Some of that's because there are so many artificially unintelligent headlines that immediately cause computer-driven trading to take place and stock goes up or down even though you can't make a serious judgment about the company because you haven't even listened to the conference call. This time, though, this time, There may be more to the company than the quarter. See, more than a year ago, Adobe decided to buy a design platform company called Figma that would be a terrific, albeit expensive, fit under its roof. Now, I actually think the Figma deal is worth the $20 billion price tag because its tools are so beloved. Oh, but the antitrust regulators, both here in Europe, they can't resist. They seem to be digging their heels against the deal, arguing that Adobe should be competing against Figma for the good of the marketplace. Well, we may learn whether... Dobie walks away? Could it happen? Maybe. How about Thursday? Oh, yeah. Two best-of-breed operators, Costco and Lennar. Now, Costco's quarters are actually pretty anticlimactic. You see, they report monthly numbers, too. I tend to listen more to what they have to say about demand and inflation and the economy. We own Costco for the trust. And while I'm aware that it could go down, the stock's been a rocket on any given quarter. I don't think it's worth it trading in and out and in and out. stock just doesn't dodge an iron cut. Co- don't worry about it in a couple of months here. Now, I'd much rather give them the benefit of the doubt because they deserve it. When I went to Amazon earlier in the week, I was conscious that Seattle houses not one but two companies that I quite, quite willingly pay more for. Amazon with Prime and Costco with my club membership. Oh, and neither of them has a problem with shrinkage. You can't steal from an online company. And Costco is a club where you need to pay to join. What kind of thief pays a membership fee when they could just steal from practically anywhere else for free? Last night I told you about how Toll Brothers is doing incredibly well, but while I was praising them, you know what I did? I realized I might be giving another home builder short shrift. I'm talking about Lenar. These guys have been building high-quality homes and making their shareholders' fortunes for ages. I expect Lenar to do maybe even better this time. The stock's run. It had another leg up after Tolls blow out. But if the Fed takes a softer line on its fight against inflation on Wednesday then maybe Lennar on Thursday could have another big leg up. Hey, finally on Friday, we get results from Darden. Uh, Now, there are a few companies that have a better handle on what people are doing with their discretionary dollars than these guys. We keep hearing from retailers and restaurant chains, one after another, that the consumer wants value. And Darden's Olive Garden sure offers that. Plus, they get very granular on their conference calls, so you can learn a lot about the price of labor, food, construction, all sorts of inputs, roles. We, we, you know, because you can take them home. You just have to file wet. As for the stock, the going, I don't know. The cross currents right now have gotten very tough after that dust up with American Express. Talking about a more cautious consumer during the month of October. And then that stock took a real hit. So when it comes to starting, I got an idea. Let's put the conference call on, on mute and just listen. Here's the bottom line. You need to remember that we're in one of those moments where, where if the Fed doesn't even get the message out perfectly, the actual headlines today box them into continuing their hold'em strategy. And that, that my friends, is just fine for the Bulls. I feel like taking some calls. You know that? I we go to Tom in Massachusetts. Tom! Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Tom! Jim, thank you for all you do for us home gamers. You're the best. Oh, man, are you kind? You just started my weekend well. How can I help you? All right. Jim, I'm calling about a company
3: that provides an essential service. This company has 16 consecutive quarters of year-over-year growth exceeding 40%. And now, with interest rates falling again, this should spur more lending activity, which will provide a catalyst for their business. Jim, my company is FICO. Oh, your company
2: is fantastic. I should be recommending that. I probably should run it for the trust. But you know what? It is expensive at all times, but I think you've got to beat on it. I like your thinking about FICO. All right, please, don't fall for that parlor game of trying to predict when the Fed's going to cut rates or not. Right now, Powell is winning the war against inflation while the economy is still creating good jobs, which is a recipe to keep, let's say, him on hold and stocks going higher. I'm Amity Earlier this week, I had a chance to sit down with Amazon CEO Andy Jassy in a rare and exclusive interview. So don't miss an encore presentation of my time with the man behind the company. Then, while out west, I got a chance to really experience the future of AI, and no, it wasn't in Silicon Valley. I'm recapping my trip to Seattle and sharing the very important takeaways from being on the ground with some of the biggest minds in artificial intelligence. And of course, all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more.
0: One
2: year ago this week, I went out to dinner with a good friend who happened to be tech savvy, certainly more than me, and he pulled out his phone, typed in some stuff, and while he did it, he asked if I wanted to see a haiku about myself. I had no idea what that he was talking about. A haiku about me? But no sooner had I said it, sure, knock yourself out. Then a poem popped up on the screen that was cogent, funny, and just otherworldly. It was kind of like David Blaine meets a Japanese version of E.E. Cummings. I thought it was one of those kind of a handful of privy th- to this wondrous moment. I mean, how many people knew about this? I was rolling every count. Millions of people at the same time were watching the same experience with chat all at once. And it's anything but a cheap sleight of hand. At that moment, coincidentally, tech stocks were in one of those periodic tailspins, just the type. Typical swoon we get when analysts sense a played out move for a sorry group and investors don't want to get hit by an ugly correction. A year later, it looks like that was the perfect buy opportunity. Hey, maybe it was an exquisite moment. Maybe it was the exquisite moment to buy the best of tech. We now know that what seemed like a simple thing you could query to create a fun ditty. Turns out to be generative artificial intelligence, something they can think outside the proverbial box and help millions of people, maybe tens of millions, become better at their jobs or any task they might find themselves challenged by. Now, these last few days, I've been at the epicenter of AI, and it's not in Silicon Valley. It's actually in the Seattle area where Amazon and Microsoft are headquartered. Microsoft is the real leader, in large part because it owns just under half of OpenAI, the company created by Sam Alton, the visionary who created ChatGPT. And Microsoft's made this technology into a huge profit center. Think Copilot already. That's important because the skeptics who never believed in the power of AI have long since left the stocks of these companies behind. They got out right before the group caught fire again because they thought the technology was, frankly, a vacuous con job. I like the stock of Microsoft, a big charitable trust holding, because while other companies talk about how they're going to make a killing in generative AI, Microsoft's already doing it. My talks with the people at the company behind the scenes indicate the Copilot, the aptly named AI product, has a shockingly strong level of absorption very quickly. Then, down the proverbial block, Amazon's using the same technology to figure out what you want before you know you want it, so they can be ready, same day, with your request. It's all science fact, even as a year ago it might have sounded like science fiction. What's most incredible to me? Long before the revelatory haiku, I now realize that Jensen Wong, the co-founder and CEO of NVIDIA, showed me the same technology when he had me stand in front of a screen. And asked me to tell the screen to draw anything. Now, I happen to be a big fan of Cezanne, but I got tired of the bowls of fruit after taking art appreciation, also known as spots and dots, at college. So I asked the screen to show, hey, how about a change of pace? Cezanne, Seascape, please. Or at least Hollywood, have done one. It appears as if by magic. It was the magic of generative AI. The problem? Until ChatGPT, the technology had going begging. By showing me, NVIDIA was trying to get the word out about what could be done now that their chips had the computing power to take advantage of the technology. At least I had the good sense to tell club members that they should go buy more NVIDIA, thinking that someone would eventually take Jensen up on it. I love technology, but I love helping you try to make more money in the stock market. That's what I'm really about. The cynics say that AI moves, it's it's just too big already. I can tell you from my face-to-face talks with people in Seattle, this move's just getting started. The AI stocks may have room, maybe a lot of room, to run, even though they were up big this week. Will they pull back next week? Buy them. If, as Amazon CEO Andy Jassy told me, 90% of the global IT spend is still on-prem, not the cloud where ChatGPT lives, then I think any dip will indeed be met with buying, not selling. Because the wonderment and astonishment, people, it is just getting started. And what humongous trend ever stops when it's only one year old. Money is back after the break.
1: Coming up, pop open those umbrellas and tee up your toughest questions. Kramer takes on all comers in the lightning round, next.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com business gold card.
2: It is time. It's time for the light round. Chris, we're about to goals. see if Sam about it. just because I know the course of it, but you played it sound. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski day? It's time for the light round. Chris, we're going to start with Philip in Washington. Fill up. Philip, speak to me. I just want to call and ask about Kroger with uh, the merger, um, you know, up. In- I think the government's yeah. going to block that merger. I think that they just pretty naturally like to stop anything that would actually help some consumers because it might even lower prices. Let's go to Diana in Indiana. Diana. Yes. Speak to me, Mr. Diana. Kramer, Season's greetings from northwest Indiana. Florida, oh, that's in my very kind. Self-esteem. Very kind. Right back at you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um I uh thanks for being you, of course. Thank you. And I wanna thank you for all that you've done for us and especially most importantly for being you. Uh, I always thank remember you. What, I always remember what you say, causes get slaughtered. So I took some profits from the Magnificent Seven and a few others. That's now I'm seventy eight years old and I kinda sort of maybe like to dabble in Santander Bank. Okay. I I would like. Go ahead. Uh, Santander. Oh, my God. And the boutique ah. is doing such a great job. The stock is breaking out. The Brazilian market is terrific. They are crushing it in Mexico. Buy S.A.N. Let's go to Sordegar in California. Sordegar.
1: Hi, Jim. This is Todd
0: Edgar from Los Altos, California. Okay. Thanks for taking my call. Big fan of the investing club. This company reported its earnings on Tuesday. It was a beat and top
2: and bottom line. They are a competitor to Monday.com, which we know had a great quarter. The yes. CEO of this company, Justin Moskowitz, who also was a co-founder of Facebook, has been buying his own company stocks all this year. But the growth is decelerating and it aims to be profitable next year. The stock rallied 30% into the quarterly earnings, but it's down more than 20% percent post earnings. What are your thoughts on Asana? Okay, I want them to be profitable before I say anything good about them. They're too early stage, but thank you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round!
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab.
2: The stock of Amazon firing on all cylinders is up 76% this year alone. That type of action is a big reason why I jumped on a plane to Seattle earlier this week to sit down with CEO Andy Jassy for a wide-ranging interview. And tonight, we're bringing you some of the best parts of my talk with him. He's so insightful. Take a listen. Mr. Jassy, thank you so much for having us. Thank you for taking Mad Buddy on. It is great to, to have you. In person, and the first thing I have to ask you: you are all those things I just mentioned—largest retailer, advertising, movie production, sports broadcaster, grocer, pharmacy, hardware device, car retailer. Soon, now this is all under one roof. What kind of responsibility do you feel, given the fact that this is actually a huge part of our economy?
3: Well, first of all, it's great to be here with you, Jim. So thank you for being here. And you know, I think what we feel across all, we're in a lot of different, diverse businesses, as you mentioned, but the thing that ties everything together at Amazon and the responsibility we feel is to make customers' lives better and easier every day across every single one of our businesses. And if you think about our businesses, we have consumers, we have sellers, we have developers, we have enterprises, we have brands and creators. That's what we're trying to do across the businesses. And, you know, each of those businesses you mentioned, we, we believe there's an opportunity to change the customer experience, and make people's lives easier and better. And that's what we're trying to do.
2: OK, so, Andy, with all those businesses, I think you've got a better handle on what's going on with the economy than pretty much anybody in the world. And you're not political. So tell me, how's it look, particularly after that huge cyber spending period?
3: Well, consumers are still spending. Uh, they're, they're being careful about what they spend on, and they're looking for bargains and deals wherever they can. And wherever they can trade down on price, they're trying to do so. And it's really why, if you looked at uh, what we did in our holiday season, you know, it's always important to save customers money, particularly during the holidays, and especially in this type of economy. And so we, you know, in our Prime Big Deals Day, which was our our exclusive event for Prime members to kick off the holidays, we had tens of millions of deals. And it was by far the best kickoff event that we ever did. Um, And then uh, if you look at what's going to happen, most people are not done with their holiday shopping. We have hundreds of millions of deals still left to come. They're dropping every day till December 24th. And so we know that customers care a lot about saving money. And we're working really hard with our third-party selling partners to provide them great deals so they can shop for the holiday season and feel good about
2: it. Okay, we do have persistent inflation. You've said it yourself. We have higher interest rates, student loan, payment resumptions, and yet they are still spending. I know they're looking for bargains, but isn't it incredible that it's still a pretty robust economy, interest rate's so high, got the Federal Reserve Chairman trying to cool things off?
3: Well, you know, I think people, People are going to buy certain retail items. There's it, a lot will have to go bad before people stop investing in detergent and shampoo and soap and things like that. And if you look at our consumables business, the growth rate there is pretty extraordinary year over year. In, in significant part because we have been able to speed up our delivery so much in the last year. And so when when you can get items to people same day or next day at the latest they end up considering you for a lot more purchases but if you look at some of the items like more discretionary items laptops or um uh, electronics or phones people are being more careful and where they may have taken the more expensive unit they're taking a less expensive unit and so we're still growing at a faster rate in those areas than you see the rest of the uh, segment but you know more timid than they've done in the past
2: all right well i'm going to go back to what you said about the consumers okay so sometimes order like razor blades and they're there the same day I order like a very popular book, the new Reacher book. I know you got season two coming up. It's there the same day. How does how does this stuff get to me the same day? What what a curse!
3: Well, you know, first of all, if you look at just the first half of this year in our top sixty metros, over sixty percent of the shipments were coming to people in in the same day or, <laughs> or one day. So, a lot of it has to do with the combination of two things. One is when we took our U.S. fulfillment network from a flat national network to eight regional hubs. We redid all the placement algorithms to get items close to where we're shipping to end customers. We were not only able to take the transportation distances down, which lowers your transportation costs and speeds up delivery to customers, um, but we also took our cost to serve down. So those were it was a great customer experience benefit for customers getting it faster and then also it took our cost to serve down. Then the other thing is that we have these sub-same-day um, facilities which are a different special... Sub-same-day? Yeah, so basically they're... Like s-
2: intraday? In,
3: in the same day, in, in just a few hours. And the average purchase in those same-day facilities from click to being ready to ship is 11 minutes. So it's a different <laughs> design in those fulfillment centers and we have... Um, top million, you know, we've we've got a million SKUs that we can ship out of there where we can ship in the same day. So, you know, we move from two day to a lot of the shipments being one day. And then increasingly, we're being able to ship items to people in the same day.
2: Well, I I know we're going to talk about artificial intelligence later, but have you done enough work to be able to say that there's a level that if it comes quickly, that person won't go to the store because it's more convenient just to go to, to Amazon?
3: Yeah, you see it all the time that when... Um, sometimes people make the mistake where they assume that there isn't you know you're kind of in the law of diminishing returns if you keep trying to speed up the delivery, but we do very rigorous testing. And every time we can take delivery speed to be faster for customers, it meaningfully changes their conversion rate and the, and the rate at which they're willing to buy. And when you, what you find downstream for customers is when you're able to get them delivery much faster, they consider you for much more of their purchases and so it's it's customers love getting items quickly
2: all right so i like reliability i like the uh, i like these coming quickly but there these are these apparel makers okay this uh, I don't want to say they're Chinese, because one's allegedly from Singapore. The other one's based in Boston, Tamu and Xi'an. And they've got these prices that, frankly, I know you had to address with some uh, a pricing change for yours. But they come in seven days, 17 days, 20 days. Why are people crazy about those? And why did you have to adjust your pricing for sellers?
3: Well, first of all, I mean, I think you know this, Jim, these market segments are so gigantic, you know, and, and, and so competition is really good. We've always thought it was good. It's good for customers. Fair competition, come on. Fair competition, but it's, you know, it's good for customers, it's good for businesses, it's good for invention. And so when you look at retail as an example, We have a pretty big retail business and we're still about just 1% of the worldwide retail market segment share and it's still the case in the U.S. 80% of the retail is still in physical stores and outside the U.S. it's about 85%. So these are giant businesses and they're going to be a lot of successful players. I think that's good for consumers. We feel very good about what we provide for customers and, and it's differentiated because we have much broader selection than anybody else and we've only added to that in the last couple of years. And then as we were talking about earlier, we have very low prices. If you look at you know, Profitero, the external analyst that looks at e-commerce, heading into the holiday season, they show that Amazon's prices were 16% lower in the 15 categories they measured than any other retailer. So we have very low prices with lots of deals we've put together with third-party sellers. And then customers care about deeply and love getting delivery quickly, and so if you have you know, you can be successful with smaller selection and good prices and you know longer delivery, but it, you know I, I feel pretty good about what we offer customers with how large our selection is, the prices, and then how fast the delivery. Well, were you surprised
2: at the growth of these companies? I mean, it's out of nowhere.
3: I think there are, as I said, there are a lot of players that are going to be successful in the retail space. There have always been. Um, and so, you know, we continue to try and do right by customers, and we know what they care about. And those inputs of selection, price, and really fast delivery continue to matter for them.
2: But you obviously don't like to lose. I mean, you're not gonna, you don't want to lose to, to, to She and you don't want to lose it to who? by the way,
3: Sheehan has a storefront right in Amazon, so they're also a partner. Um, so, you know, most of the companies that we interact with, in, in, both in AWS as well as um, in our retail business, they're both partners, and then we also have some overlap.
2: All right. Now, look, we're going to, uh, uh, my conversation with Amazon President and CEO Andy Chastity continues after the break. I'll tell you, he also doesn't want to lose. <laughs> Stay with us.
1: Coming up, Taylor Swift. Thursday night football,
3: and a trip to the cloud. I continue to be very bullish about AWS come 2024
1: and beyond. Kramer has more with the Amazon CEO next.
2: We had too many big issues to cover with Amazon CEO Andy Jassy in just one segment while we are out in the headquarters in Seattle. So here's the second part of my conversation. Please take a look. Let's talk about some of the things that you're doing with uh, Amazon Web Services. Now, one of the reasons why the trust has a big position is this is just a phenomenally profitable thing. I met you a few years ago, and all you talked about was how you kept cutting prices, cutting prices, cutting prices, because you want everybody, and because you also want good, de- good deals. The last year, uh, it's it, the rate of growth slowed, but then we got a bounce. Is that bounce continuing? Well,
3: I, I think that if you know, if you look at the growth rates of AWS, you know. If, per Q3, the last results were released, you saw that the year-over-year growth rate started to stabilize 12% year-over-year. And, and I, you know, I think that while there's still some cost optimization going on from companies right. um, concerned about the economy, it's largely attenuated. It's not nearly at the same rate as before. And you know, I think we, we made a decision in the beginning of the pandemic, um, right, wrong, or indifferent. We think it was the right decision, but it was different from other companies. That instead of, even though we knew it might be a difficult economy, instead of trying to squeeze every last dollar from our customers, which a lot of our competitors did, we would try and side on this, uh, with customers and we would try and help them weather the pandemic and the uncertain economy. And we knew that in the short term, it might lead to lower revenue growth, but if we do right by customers over a long period of time, we're trying to build a business that right. lasts all of us. We believe it will help customers and the business will ride along with it. So, you know, I feel I think we made the right decision for customers. I think they're really appreciative. We see them, um, you know, we, we feel really good about the deal growth that we see in the last few months. And I continue to be very bullish about AWS come 2024 and beyond. I think that, um, you know, the business today is a $92 billion annual re- you know revenue run rate business. Ninety percent of the global IT spend is still on-premises. Right. If you believe that that's going to flip in the next ten to twenty years, which I do, if we continue to have the best functionality by a large bit than we do, like we do, if you if you continue to have the largest partner ecosystem, which we do, with the strongest operational performance and security as we do, and, and the customer orientation we do. I think we have a lot of growth in front of us, not to mention what's happening in generative AI, which I think is going to transform virtually every customer experience. That's another huge opportunity for
2: AWS business. In the conference call, Andy, you did say, and I'm going to quote you, tens of billions of dollars in revenue over the next several years. How is that possible? Well, if you
3: think about virtually every customer experience that you know, if you think about all of those being changed and evolved and reinvented with generative AI in the middle of it, I mean, the global IT spend is is a really, really large number. It's trillions of dollars. So, you know, I think that um, very, in my opinion, almost all the generative AI, especially because all those efforts are effectively starting now, are going to be in the cloud. There isn't going to be this 90% of generative right. AI spend on-premises. And so I, I think that um, there's going to be a huge number of, every company is going to reinvent their core customer experiences but, but that you know,
2: way. I, I talk to a lot of companies, and I, I'm not sure they even know what they're doing. They're in it. They say they have an AI strategy, but I mean, I know you must help a lot of companies, but aren't aren't there a lot of companies that are just doing it for show? I think
3: almost every company now, either they themselves as a leadership team or their board knows that this is really transformational, what's happening with with generative AI. And so everybody knows that they have to change their experiences. Now, I think a lot of companies are still on the stage of trying to figure out at what layer in the stack they want to operate at in that generative AI stack, and there's you know three main layers, and, and, and they're trying to figure out where, and then they're trying to figure out which experiences should they go after first, and what are they actually going to change about it? And a lot of what we do, because most of the conversation in generative AI has been at that top layer of the stack, which right. is really the application layer, but all three layers are giant, and we're investing in all three of them in a very substantial way. That lower level, is really the compute to train the models and run the predictions or inferences. The key there are chips, you know, and, and we um, we've been building our own custom AI chips now but for several years. you were
2: the first to go Grace Hopper. You were the first we to go high-end
3: NVIDIA. We have we have a deep partnership with NVIDIA. All of their new chips have always come out on um, EC2 or AWS EC2 instances first. And at the same time, we're also building our own chips. We have something called Trainium for for training and Inferentia for inference for people that want to push the envelope on price performance. Um, and so that bottom layer, um, you have a lot, a lot of companies will build those large language, large language models on those chips. And then that middle layer is really where companies that don't want to invest all the people and the dollars in building their own models, they want to take an existing large language model, customize it with their own data, and then be able to run it as a managed service. And that's why we built this service called Bedrock, which takes not only our own models, which we call Titan, but leading third-party models like Anthropic and Stability and um, Llama 2 and Cohere lets them take those models, customize it, not leak their data back into the general models, and then have the same security and access control and features they have in AWS that they can use in that service. So all three layers of that stack really matter. Companies are trying to figure out well, when they're going to build versus when they're going to
2: leverage another okay, model. Well, well, We're helping it's them do it's it. Not it's, it's definitely for real, and that's what matters.
1: Coming up, Amazon's endless applications for artificial intelligence. Generative AI is going to change every customer experience. Kramer's in-depth one-on-one continues from the Amazon HQ in Seattle, next.
2: Let me ask you something. Do you seriously think that I was going to go all the way out to Seattle to talk to one of the most important CEOs of our time and not do a third segment? Here's where it gets really good. Take a look. So, Andy, we know about how artificial intelligence works. There are two camps, though. There's one camp which says we've got to be very beware of it. It could be a dangerous thing. We don't know what's going to happen. And then there's another camp which just says, look, we can't all go to Stanford Com It's going to enable millions of people to be involved in computing. Democracy, which camp do you fall in? Well, I think you can't
3: fully be in only one of those camps. You know, I happen to think that generative AI is going to change every customer experience, and it's going to make it much more accessible for everyday developers, and even business users to use. So I think there's going to be a lot of societal good, but you have to pay attention to some of the dangers of, of uh, generative AI, and you have to have the right security, and you got to make sure that um, that the models are not overly hallucinating, and so you, you do have to care about safety and that. And it, in the businesses we operate in, whether you're talking about consumers in our consumer businesses or enterprises in our AWS business, they they're going to care about the safety pieces. So we have a lot of focus there. But I also don't think that you should throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like I actually think this is going to be hugely helpful in every customer experience. But
2: how do you know exactly what I'm going to buy before I know it? Well, I don't know if we always know,
3: but thank you. Um, But we work hard, you know, based on um, what you've bought, um, what you, uh, what other people have bought, similar things to what you've bought, um, where you're, you know, what you're actually looking at. We try to predict what you might be interested in and show you those things and recommendations.
2: So that, that is, in many ways, great customer service. I uh, Nine years ago, I came out and met with one of the Norton brothers, and he said, look, uh, watch it. Amazon's going to end up having the best touch. Do you think you're there yet, more things you can do?
3: Oh, my gosh. I mean, I, I think that, I think that we do a very good job of recommending items to people and, and helping them discover items. And yet, I think all of us at, you know, on the team would say that there's so much more we can do and we're constantly improving our models and generative AI are gonna make our models even better and, and it's also gonna make discovery even easier. So I think we're pretty good at it and I think we're still in the early days.
2: You know, I listen to the value of Prime and listen to what you guys are offering, then I think about the FTC. And how the FTC, frankly, just feels that you're entrapping people in Prime. And it's almost laughable to me. You do everything to keep prices down in trap. I mean, it's it's a joy when you see these things. I know you're. I'm not asking you to litigate here, but doesn't it seem Thank almost uh, just a simplistic way of looking at things?
3: Well, we've said this a few times. We think they're wrong on the facts right. and the law, and you know. And I think even on on the prime issue you're talking about. For us, we don't, it's, it doesn't really behoove us to trick people into signing up for Prime because the Prime subscription fee is a small part of the total value for customers and for our business. What what really works for us with Prime and for customers is that they get that fast, free, unlimited delivery, uh, shipping and they and they can use it off of Amazon and they get all the Prime video benefits and the Prime, it's, it's that collection of benefits. And so if we somehow tricked people into signing up for Prime, and they didn't actually use the benefits, it wouldn't really do us very much good. No. And, and customers actually, we have many, many customers who found it easy to cancel Prime if they decide they want to change.
2: Well, now there are other people who just say, listen, you're too big, you hurt small business. It's a, I think it's a canard, but I understand that people could feel that way because of the size of your operation.
3: Well, I think that if you really look at the facts, you know, what we have done for small companies and small businesses in in this country and across the world, I think it's pretty remarkable. We have a couple million small businesses that sell in our marketplace where they're able to have a much larger business and reach many more customers than they possibly could themselves. What's hard about starting a business is not putting up a website that's relatively straightforward. It's actually finding all the customers and then actually having to pick, pack and ship and deliver to customers. And so the fact that we do that for so many small businesses has changed the the magnitude of what small businesses can actually
2: earn. you, You guys in your quarterly talk about you've created. You've created millions of businesses.
3: Yeah, and we've done it in the marketplace and and we've also done it in AWS. If you think about in the old days, when you were a startup, you had to raise four or $5 million up front just to pay for your data center and your hardware and your networking gear. And then you get one shot at trying your idea. With AWS, You actually don't have to worry about spending any of your capital that you raise on the data centers or the servers and networking gear. And you can try lots of instantiations of your idea for, you know, pennies or, or a few dollars a month until you find traction. Like, that has totally changed the game for small companies and startups.
2: All right, now let's talk about things that I'm not sure are working yet. I find Alexa stilted, for instance. I, she does, sometimes she just doesn't understand. Not enough me. personality for you? No, she uh. doesn't. She's flat. Mm-hmm. And, and she look, she's a yes man. She does whatever I want. But I, I do feel like that there's it's not conversational enough. Can you change that? Yeah, I think you know. It's funny.
3: Our vision for Alexa was to build the world's best personal assistant. And you know, if we were trying to just build a smart speaker, we would largely be there. There'd always be things to work on, but we'd be much further along. But if you want to build the world's best personal assistant, that's a much broader endeavor. And people used to scoff at that at that vision and that notion, but if you've studied generative AI and you're still scoffing, you're really not paying attention. It is going to happen. And you know, with 500 million Alexa-enabled devices out there with a couple hundred million active endpoints in entertainment and smart home and shopping and information. We think we have a real opportunity to be the leader there, and we're in the process of of building a much more expansive, large-language model underneath Alexa that will make her both much more knowledgeable and much more conversational for
2: you, Jim. We need that. Now, my my trust is worried about the following, okay? You're doing satellites, you're selling cars, I mean, you're doing healthcare, I worry Okay, they're doing too much. There's no, you, you can't humanly possible do all the things that you're doing.
3: Well, I, you know, the way we have always thought about new investments here at the company, and again, I'm not saying it's the right way. It's the way we've always thought about them. Is we ask ourselves four questions. We ask if we're successful, can it be big and move the needle at Amazon? Is it being well served today? Do we have a differentiated approach? And then. Can we, do we have competence there? And if not, can we acquire quickly? And if we like the answers to those questions, we will invest. Now, sometimes it leads to very natural extensions, like getting into more international com- countries or grocery or um, uh, buy with Prime. And sometimes it leads to less obvious extensions, like you know, AWS was not obvious to people, right, given right. what we were doing. And, and so each of those um, businesses that you're talking about investments fit that criteria. Just take Kuiper as an example. So Kuiper, there are 400 to 500 million households across the world that have no broadband connectivity. That means they can't do education online, they can't do business online, they can't shop, they can't do entertainment. Um, You know, enterprises have no network around them, governments have no visibility. And so the low earth orbit satellite that we're building with Kuiper is gonna change the connectivity for all those households that just haven't had it. It just completely changes what's possible for them. That's gonna
2: cost you a fortune. It's, It's
3: capital intensive up front. But it has a lot of the same types of characteristics of AWS, where if you're willing to invest the capital up front, there's a large market segment there that you can actually provide something that they couldn't otherwise have. And I think we can charge a low price and still make good margins where it's a good business for us. So I actually am very bullish about that business.
2: And cars?
3: Well, remember, cars are really an extension of our retail business. So we did a strategic agreement with Hyundai, and it's got three elements to it. The first is that they're going to make their cars available on Amazon. So there really aren't any um, websites where you can buy a car end-to-end. They're usually lead generation for the dealerships. Right. Here with what we're doing with Hyundai is that they'll have their cars available. Customers will be able to buy a car end-to-end with whatever features they want and pick it up at whatever dealership they want, and they get to take all the muck of having to negotiate and financing and wait for the loan that takes three hours, and it'll take about 15 minutes on Amazon. So it's gonna be a great customer experience. And then as part of the strategic agreement, they're gonna put the Alexa experience in their cars and they're gonna move their on-premises uh, technology infrastructure at AWS. So it's a, a very broad, expansive strategic agreement. Um, the, the selling of cars is really an extension of a retail business, but we, we're very bullish about the partnership. They they are very focused on customers like we are.
2: Healthcare, very hard to do, and you're waiting into that.
3: Well, if you think about that rubric I said earlier, but are there sure. are there customer experiences that are worse and healthy? no I mean, like it's 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 oh, no passport experience. and driver's
2: license we do that
3: but even some of those are getting better i mean you know and, and getting into the country is a lot better than it was before and so you know for us if you i think when we tell our grandkids that the way you used to have to see a doctor was, you know, call three weeks in advance, drive 20 minutes, park, wait in the waiting room for, wait in the reception for 20 minutes, get into an exam room for 15 minutes, doctor comes in, talks to you for 10 minutes, drive 20 minutes to the pharmacy, drive to work or wherever you're going. They're just not going to believe us. Like I used to not believe my parents didn't have color TV when they were growing up. And so, you know, we, we have an opportunity with One Medical, which is primary care. It's a, it's a radically different experience. It's a, it's a really amazing, Digital app with all your information readily available. You can chat with physicians. You can do video conferences. They have physical clinics. Um, the doctors will come see you and spend 30 or 60 minutes with it, you. It's, it's the patient's call. You can get appointments same day. You can see specialists next day. Like it's a totally different experience. And then we have to go to the pharmacy. You can have Amazon Pharmacy deliver it and it's you know it's really broad selection, it's great pricing. We have programs like RXPass, which allow you for you know key generics to for five dollars a month to get unlimited uh, amounts of that. Like so it's these are very different experiences in healthcare. I think we can be a big part of, of that solution being a better experience.
2: Okay, I worry about, about international. Now it looks like it's about to go in the black, but it took you years and years and years. You have to be in India. It's the fastest growing big country in the world. But again, I mean, are we gonna start at zero and spend fortunes? I think, uh, you know,
3: I, I think you don't have to worry that much about international, Jim. It's, it's a It's a really big business today and it's growing really nicely and I think it's gonna be a very large, profitable business for us. When you enter a new geography, you know, if you think about in our established international geographies, UK, Germany, Japan, Grown really nicely, growing even faster than we anticipated, um, like the profitability uh, uh, trajectory there. We have a lot of new emerging markets, India, Brazil, Mexico, Australia, Africa, Middle East, um, some countries in Europe. And, you know, those are all places that want to have delivery and local operations. And when you launch those, you, you know, the, you have to lay down a certain amount of fixed costs and then you need enough revenue to cover those fixed costs. But they're following the same type of trajectory the U.S. did. And the U.K. and Germany and Japan did. And they're all growing well. And the profitability is, is, is moving the right way. They're gonna. It's going to be a very large profitable business for us. You
2: know, it, what happened? What was the delta that it was so good this last quarter? It, you're In so close to break even So close.
3: Well, we, you know, we're continuing to grow at, at a more rapid clip than we might have projected. And then we're continuing to take our cost to serve down our fulfillment network. And that, that's changed our profitability profile.
2: Well, it's amazing. You know, and I do have something from, from uh, I do want to add, which is that uh, I'm trying to figure out, you guys must love my wife. Because there's a present from Amazon on our step every <laughs> single day. Bless her, Jim. <laughs> Thank you. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise i try to find it just for you right here at Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you Monday. Last call starts now.